Thank you all. Thank you so much. So good to be with you all. I look around and I see so many faces, uh, people that I love and know. Don't you love this IPHC family? You can travel halfway across the country and feel right at home. What a family we have. I am so thankful for you guys and so honored to be here. I have known uh, Stuart and Sherry since, uh, oh goodness, 30 years since before they were married. Knew them. Uh, Stuart, I knew him somewhat. He, I believe he played the trumpet. Uh, Stuart was uh, well known at the school, but Sherry, everybody knew Sherry. Everybody. She was the cafeteria checker. Before you could get in to eat, she had to see your student ID card. So believe me, she was popular. You couldn't eat until you got past this lady. So when I saw the cafeteria out there, I kind of wondered, does Sherry stand by the door and check you guys before you go in? I wonder if she'll be doing that tonight. Love them so much. And uh, Steve Brown, I have known him for so long. and so thankful for him. Hallie is doing a fantastic job in discipleship ministries. I mean, you, you hang around people and you know them so long and, and they know so many stories on you that you just hope you know enough on them to keep them from telling what they know on you. Does anybody know what that's about? I mean, you know any friends like that that you've got enough on them that maybe they can't tell everything they know about you? But it is a joy to be here. I'm here tonight because I love the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love His church. With all of my heart, I love the church. You love the church tonight. Are you thankful for Jesus' church? I believe that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is God's means of dwelling on earth and accomplishing His kingdom purposes. I believe it with all of my heart. The church, I love it because the church of Jesus Christ is the place where life change happens. The church is where heart change happens. I know it because it happened in my own family. When I was born, my dad was an alcoholic. The night I was born, my mom had to drag my dad out of the bathtub. He was passed out drunk in the bathtub. And he drove us drunk to the hospital for me to be born. But you know something? I had a praying grandmother who prayed. And she believed that God was going to save her son-in-law. And he came to church with her. And he walked in and he told my mom, he said, I will never drink again. And Jesus Christ changed his life. I never saw my dad drunk. I never saw him experience that. Jesus changed his life and now he's one of the most powerful men of God I know. My children look up to him. My daughter said the other day, she said, I believe that Papa is the most godly man I've ever met and that's because of Jesus and his church. I love the church. Now, you know, Washington can vote in new laws and that's good. And there's some we ought to change. But changing a law doesn't change the human heart. You with me? An election cannot change hearts. It can enforce things and it can change direction. But the only thing that can change the human heart and make a new creature is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is proclaimed on this earth through His church. I love the church. I was raised in a small church. My parents got saved in a church that was very limited and very poor. Our church was uh, in High Point, North Carolina, and it was a startup church. And, and I want to tell you what our campus looked like. Our campus was two single-wide mobile homes. One of them had been gutted from end to end, and that was the sanctuary. The other one was the Sunday school mobile home, and we met. It was like a three-bedroom mobile home, single-wide, and we met in those rooms. There were cinder blocks stacked up to make stairs to go in. When we had homecoming, we all bought our lawn chairs and sat around in front of the mobile home with the cinder block steps... Somebody told me one time, said, I go to a redneck church. I said, oh, no, you don't go to a redneck church. You want to know about a redneck church? That's the one we got saved in. Man, it was old-fashioned. They shouted. I remember when I was a kid, they would shout from front to back of that mobile home sanctuary, and they would praise God. And back in those days, we had a, a lady named Sister Kennedy, and Sister Kennedy would bring her husband to church. Back in those days, people came to church because that's just what you did. And she brought her husband to church and he wasn't saved. 
And I mean, Sister Kennedy was faithful. She would pray and ask God to save him. And I think he was the meanest man in town. Have you ever seen anybody that come to church and they just kind of sit on the back row and cross their arms and say, you just try and bless me. Bless me if you can. I'm not getting saved no matter what you... And I mean, these people would be shouting all over the place and speaking in tongues and God would be moving and old, Miss, old man Kennedy would sit back there like this. I mean, he would have this hard look and you could just see him tense up. And back in those days, this is back in the 70s, uh, a preacher gave an altar call every service. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, there was an altar call. And we would sing. It's awfully and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Oh, you didn't come here to hear me sing. I promise you that. Calling old sinner, come home. And we'd sing it over and over again. And he would call for the sinner to come home. And we all knew who he was talking about. Nobody was confused about who the sinner was. Old man Kennedy needed to get saved. I mean, that guy sat through more altar calls in my life than I ever said. And he never, we would always pray. What you said then, God put him under conviction. We wanted to see somebody get under conviction. And old man Kennedy just didn't get under conviction at all. And I mean, I'm a kid there. I'm five or six years old. And preacher always say, close your eyes. But boy, during his altar call, I'd always peek around at old man Kennedy and see if anything was stirring. We'd sing that song six times and he wouldn't move. And I'd say, Jesus, if you're real, you're going to save old man Kennedy. You're going to save him. And I was just, I was just hoping he would get saved. It was kind of the proof to me that all this really worked. So they moved away. And I thought, man, too bad. I'll never get to see old man Kennedy again. You know, when I was a teenager, Sister Kennedy came back, and she had a different husband. And I thought, oh, Lord. She has killed old man Kennedy. And she's found a Christian husband. Because this guy came in, and he was shouting. He was, he was shouting with the rest of us. And I thought, how cool. She, she did it right this time. She got a, a good guy. wonder what happened to old man Kennedy. This guy was shouting and, and all around the church shaking everybody's hand. And I thought, boy, old Miss Kennedy did it right this time. After church, we were riding home in the car. And I said, Dad, I said, isn't it cool Sister Kennedy married a Christian husband? said, whatever happened to old man Kennedy? She, he said, you don't know who that is, do you, son? I said, No. He said, that is old man Kennedy. He had gone to a church and got saved, and it really ticked me off. How dare he get saved without me being there after all I had done for that man. Uh, really, it didn't tick me off. I was through. I promise you. I didn't recognize the man because Jesus had done so much in his life. Jesus had changed his countenance. Jesus had changed everything about him. He revolutionized his whole life. That man died and went to heaven. I got to grow up seeing lives change like that. I've been able to spend almost all of my life in the church. And I love his church. Maybe you are here, and tonight you need to fall back in love with his church again. Because I tell you something, once in a while his church fights. Once in a while being in his church stings. You can get hurt in his church because his church is filled with human beings. Maybe you're a pastor and when you started out in ministry, you loved the church and you loved what was going on. And you just had this burning desire in your heart to see lives changed and people saved. And it began to happen and you fell in love with this church. And then you went to a board meeting. And your heart was just filled with vision and your heart was filled with what God was going to do. And you went into that board meeting knowing that at the end of that meeting they were all going to stand and applaud you for the wonderful vision God had given you. And they were just going to jump in behind your dreams and finance it all. And everything was going to be wonderful. And you left that meeting and said, oh, Lordy me, I don't know if I love church or not. You can come from the most wonderful services. We had the most wonderful service at our church yesterday, and I'll probably testify about it before it's over. 
most wonderful time and the Holy Spirit moved and it was a historic day for our church. I may tell you about it in a few minutes. But, and I was, I was just right, Pastor, maybe you can identify with this. I was just riding high today thinking, man, God, you did so many wonderful things. And I was studying and preparing this message and putting it together in the hotel room today after the plane landed. And then I got an email. Don't ever check an email while you're doing devotions. <laughs> Don't ever check an email while God speaks to you. I got an email from someone. I probably shouldn't tell this, but I'm probably going to tell a few things I shouldn't tell. But uh, got an email from a lady who told me, to Pastor, I wasn't in church yesterday, but we watched it online and we're very disappointed. Well, so there's something she expected me to do that I didn't do exactly the way she wanted it done. And pastor, maybe you've been there. I know I'm talking to a lot of pastors. I'm talking to a lot. Of, maybe you've been there at the place where you, you love his church and you genuinely saw the Holy Spirit doing something wonderful. And somebody like that came along and, and burst the, the balloon, rained on your parade, just sapped the life right out of you. I hope tonight... We can fall in love with His church again. I hope tonight we can rediscover the beauty of His church. Jesus made a powerful promise in the Scripture. Powerful promise in Matthew chapter 16. He said this. He said, I will build my church. Matthew 16, 18. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now I want you to hear this. He said, first of all, I will build. He didn't say pastor. He didn't say board member. He didn't say comrade. You will build. He said, I will build. God has to remind me of that a lot. Because there are times when... I tend to take on the responsibility of ministry onto my own life. I tend to shoulder the burden. I tend to want it to be me. And I, and I tend to take it personally. And you probably do too when things don't go as they should. When the growth stalls. When somebody, nobody comes to Christ. When somebody comes to me for counseling and their marriage and the marriage still fails. I go home and think, what could I have done? What could I have said? Anybody bearing witness with that? That you've been in a place in your life where you personally felt responsible? I was standing uh, the other day, uh, a couple of months ago, I was getting ready to step out and preach at the church. And and some Sundays, pastors know this, you feel like, yeah, this is going to be good today. Then there are other Sundays. And you're like, Lord Jesus, please show up and do something. Help somebody to start shouting today or, or uh, just heal somebody or, Lord, you better move today. And I was standing behind them all there. I was just about to walk out. The worship team was wrapping up. And I was thinking, I was one of those days, Jesus, please do. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, Son, you hear all these people out there singing? They're not singing for you. You know that building full of people out there? They didn't come for you. They're not here because of something you've got inside of you. Son, those are my people. Son, those are my work. That's my work that you're involved in. It's not yours. And I'm letting you be a part of it today. And I'm calling you to be faithful to me. And serve me and love me and hear from me. But son, always remember, this is not your building. This is not your work. This is not your ministry. Because Jesus said, I will build my church. Now I want you to understand as well what he said. He said, I'll build my church. It belongs to him. Jesus never said, I'll build your church. It's his. He owns it. He died for it. He gave His life for it. He's the Lord over it all. Did you know, I'm, I'm working with a, we're working with a company now. We're making a hire in the church and we're working with a search company and looking all over the nation and, and they're really helping us. And the, the leader of their organization was on a podcast the other day and he was talking about interim pastors. 
And he said this. He said, pastors, we're all interim pastors. One day we're going to hand the baton to somebody else and we're going to pass on. One day if Jesus tarries, we're going to go to glory and some younger person is going to follow us and pick up that baton and carry it forward. It's not our church. It's His. He owns it. We've got to leave it in His hands. Amen? It's a powerful church. It's a prevailing church. It's a mighty church. I think sometimes, folks, we don't realize how powerful the church is. Amen. Sometimes we've got a, a, a faulty picture of the church. I want to try to help us see tonight so we can fall in love with his church again. What his church is really like. Some people view the church as kind of an ailing, old, weak failing group of people that are just kind of holding the fort till Jesus comes back. We're a lonely outpost. We're protecting some ancient relics of the past. We're just holding on, but we're the last ones. You've ever seen the movie uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? Indiana Jones is in pursuit of the Holy Grail, right? The cup didn't... No, this didn't all come from the Bible, obviously. <laughs> He's pursuing the cup of Christ, you know. And he gets through all these crazy obstacles, you know, and finally he gets to the cave where the cup of Jesus is. And you've got this lonely, dusty old knight. He's like two million years old. He's still got his armor and he's still got his sword and... Indiana Jones comes in and this dusty old knight sort of gets up like he's going to fight him and he just falls back. He's got a sword, but he can't even pick it up. And he's got the grail there and he's protecting it. He's keeping it safe. He's the guardian of the grail. And he's the last one. And I hear people talk about the church sometimes like that's what the church is. That is nothing like the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was born in power and it'll go out in power. His church. His church. It's moving all over the world today where people will let him own his church and run his church. I want to tell you what his church is like. Anybody drink tea? How many tea drinkers do? I said tea now. How many tea drinkers do we have in this place? You like tea? When I came here today, Steve took me to lunch and he ordered sweet tea. And I said, hallelujah. Y'all drink sweet tea in Oklahoma? How many sweet tea drinkers do we have? Any of you drink unsweet tea? What is wrong with you? We will have an altar service at the end. On every corner of Henderson County, there is a Bojangles. Do you have Bojangles out there? No. And the, the what's the biscuit, Dr. Trammell, that you get? The cheddar. They don't have that in our Bojangles. And he preached on the cheddar bow at camp meeting. And I've been bitter about that ever since. Forgive me, brother. We don't have it. But they have the sweetest tea. How many drink hot tea? Anybody want to drink hot tea? Have you ever had any celestial seasonings tea? Has anybody ever heard of that? That's wonderful tea. They have a factory in Boulder, Colorado. And you can tour the Celestial Seasonings Tea Factory. And one of the highlights of the factory is the mint room. In the mint room, they store all the mint that is going into the tea. They say, I'm going to go there one day, because this illustration is going to be a lot better when I've actually been there. <laughs> we preachers will fly places just to be able to tell a good story. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, they've got a mint room there. And, and they say when you walk into that mint room, all the sinuses in your head just open. They say you can't stay in there very long or you would be overwhelmed. They actually have a t-shirt when you come out of the mint room that says, I survived the mint room. You know, it's behind double sealed doors. Double sealed doors. 
They have one that comes down kind of like a garage door. They have to open that for you to go in. And then there's a door, kind of a traditional door with rubber seals all around it. And that place is double sealed, airtight. Now, I like to ask people this. Why is the room sealed? I like to ask people that because it really says something. Why is it sealed? And, and, and eight out of ten people will say this when I ask them, why do you think that room's sealed? They say, well, you've got to protect the scent of the mint. You've got to protect the mint because if you would open the doors, the mint would just dissipate and lose all its flavor. That's absolutely wrong. I know people who think about the church who think we've got to we've got to seal off what we have to protect it and hang on to it. You know what I mean? I heard a guy the other day say that, brothers, you know we got to protect Pentecost. The day the Holy Spirit needs me to protect him is a bad day. If the Holy Ghost needs me to protect him, we are all in trouble. We're not holding something in to protect him. You know why? And this is the church. You know why they seal the men off? This is fact. If they leave the door open to the mint room for an hour, all the tea in the factory will become mint. That's the church. That's the church. You want to hear something better than that? They figured this out. If they left the door open to the mint room for one day, you could smell the mint four miles around the factory. Four miles away, you could smell it. That's the church. We don't need to protect Pentecost. We just need to get it and leave the door open. We need to leave it. We need to express it. I'm not protecting the Holy Spirit like the old ancient gladiator about to die, protecting some old thing. I'm living the Spirit-filled life and leaving the door wide open so everybody can experience this church. I love this church. Matthew 16, you're having this incredible conversation. And Jesus is asking them, and I, and I kind of want to set the stage for what I'm going to talk about tomorrow night, tomorrow during the day, and tomorrow night. Um, Jesus is asking them the question, saying, who do people say that I am? What's everybody saying about me out there? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're another prophet. And Jesus was a master at this. He's drilling down to the real heart of it. And he said, who did you say that I am? This is a big deal. I mean, they followed him, but, but nobody had actually been bold enough to just say it. They're, they're like, man, he, he's really something else. They've left everything to follow him. They've, they've forsaken family and just left everything behind. And they're, they're following after Jesus with their whole lives. But, but nobody's just really said this. And Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, that's a big shocker. <laughs> he is the Bible big mouth. Anybody here thankful that Peter is in the Bible? Anybody? So thank God he's there. So many times I'm like, thank you, Jesus, for this guy. I mean, you got a guy that Jesus turned around and said, get thee behind me, Satan. Oh, my. That's pretty bad. As if it couldn't get any worse, he's at the transfiguration. And like God speaks out of heaven and rebukes him in an audible voice. This is my ear him. Childish problem. I mean, you know, mouth problem. But finally, the boy gets it right. The big mouth finally hits it. 
Sometimes it pays off to be a big bouncer. Simon Peter answered, and he made the confessional of the church for the church, and he said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. This is, this is a step. He, he stepped over a line when he said this. He said, you are the one prophesied to come. You are him. You're the one. He didn't say you're, you're one of them. He didn't say you're one of the prophets. He said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of the living God. That's who you are. And he was the first one to make that grand confession of his church. And Jesus looked at him and said, you're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human being. Then he said this, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. I find it very interesting that Peter told Jesus who he was. And Jesus turned right around and told Peter who he was. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're Peter. Now, if you remember, when he came to Jesus, his name was Simon. And Jesus said, you're Simon, but I'm going to call you something else. Cephas in the Aramaic, Peter in the Greek. Your name is Simon, but I'm going to call you Rocky. I believe what Jesus is saying. There's been a lot of debate, obviously, and I certainly don't believe that this passage means that Peter was to be the first pope. What I believe Jesus is saying in this passage is, I'm going to build my church on people who know who they are and who know who I am. He's going to build his church on people who know that He is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's not going to build His church on people who think He's the latest guru or a self-help teacher. He's going to build His church on those who know Him as the Christ, the Son of God. But here's where we really struggle, and I'm going to dig in on this tomorrow night really big, where we struggle many times Pentecostals is knowing who we are in Him. Knowing our identity in Christ. He said, I'll build my church. Now, if you let me, I'm going to go on just a little bit longer and I'm going to quit. He said, I'll build my church. The church is pictured as a bride, as a body. And then as a building. Jesus is building his church. You know, there are some Bible scholars that, uh, that say it's very possible that Jesus built out of stone. That perhaps he could have been a stonemason. I don't think it would destroy our theology to believe that. We, we tend to, I tend to picture Jesus as a wood, you know, wood carpenter. But there are many illustrations in the New Testament of the church being a building of stones. We are those stones being built up together. He's building a church. And it says this in Ephesians 2. Together. Ephesians 2, 20 through 22. And I'm going to land this for you. It says together we are his house. Together. We are his house. Not just an individual. I'm not his house by myself over in the corner. I'm not his house doing my little thing at my church. With the other church doing its thing over here at their church. I'm his house when we all become his church. He's building said it's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Then it says this, and, and I'm going to hone in on this tonight. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. 
Through him, he says, verse 22, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Did you hear that? We, the church, together are the house in which God indwells by his spirit to manifest his presence in this world. And that happens as we are carefully joined together by the master builder. That means God picks us up and we're a rock. You ever seen a great stonemason at work? We've got a man in our church who's a stonemason, and he's one of the best in our areas. He can take a pile of rocks and turn it into a beautiful wall. I've seen him do it. He, he built us a sign at the church. It's three stone columns, and I could literally look out my office window and look down and watch him build it. I said, man, you better do a good job because I'm watching while I'm sitting here at work. I'm watching He's awesome. He just had a pile of rocks, and he would pick them up, and he could fit them together just perfectly. You know, sometimes he'd have a space to put the rock, and, and the stones get, didn't get to choose where they were fit in. The builder chose where to put them. You don't have to like that, but it's true. There's some things in the Bible we don't have to like, but they're just true, right? He shapes them. He picked up a stone and said, you know, I think it belongs there. And then there would be a space, and he would take another stone, and it wouldn't quite fit. So he would take his hammer and start chipping on it. Man, I don't like that. Because Jesus has to chip off some things in me so that I can fit alongside you. You ever thought about a person, boy, this is going to get hard to deal with. If I was hearing this preach, I'd be mad too. You ever heard it? You ever said this about They just rubbed me the wrong way. Because they have a rough edge that rubs up against your rough edge. And the master builder has put you next to that person. Even if it's only a season, he's put you around that person. Oh, me. And he starts chipping on your life. Here's what we do sometimes. Here's what our, our church members do in our congregation. When the master builder is shaping you, you don't like it. And you say, I think I'll just go to another wall. I'm just not happy with what's going on around here. So-and-so acts this way, and I don't like it, so I'm going to move somewhere else. So you move to the wall down the street. Here's the problem, though. That master builder is still building that wall. And he's still going to chip off the same thing from your life at that place. You're going to find that problem again. Can I tell you something? I shouldn't say this. Maybe I should. Yeah, everybody, everybody, say it, say it. That's easy for y'all to say it. You put two gossips down in a church of a thousand and they'll find each other in two weeks. I know. You find two people that want to control the church and the pastor, you stick them down in 10,000 people, they'll be together in a month. Have a way of finding trouble. You take that person who's dealing with an issue and they go to the church down the street. The master builder's still going to be chipping on that. You've got people come to your church and they say this, and I've seen this time and time. Our church has grown from, from this church has grown from 80 to 1,000 people, so I've seen every one of those barriers. I, I would guess most of you are somewhere in that. Uh, some of you may be beyond that, but we've seen it happen that some people come around for a season they're there for a while and they go somewhere else some of them come and say this preacher this is the greatest church 
And I've just been looking for a place like this. I've been in 18 churches in Henderson County. And we finally found the one. And I whispered to Alexa, my wife, guess what? We're number 19. 20's coming soon. I'll preach if you want me to. Man came up to me about two months ago. And he told me, he said, Preacher, I've been looking for a church like this for 30 years. The heart is so good. Jesus is moving. And I've been looking for it for 30 years. I'm not making this up. He said, but this will be our last Sunday. He said, we're looking for a place where the music's not so loud. Master builders trying to shape them and they're running. Let the builder shape you. Let him fit you into his church. He'll put you with some people that are going to rub you the wrong way, but don't quit. People always know the secret. Boy, what's happening up? But what's the secret? Here's the secret. We didn't quit. We had a ton of opportunities. By God's grace, we kept on. And the last thing I'm going to tell you. We don't appreciate the friction of his house. And we also don't appreciate the tension of being in his house. Tension. We don't like tension. Tension is powerful, though. We want to be in a church where there's no tension. A church that has no tension in it will collapse. You know there's tension in this building right now, in this physical structure. These beams that run right here, they look a lot like the ones we have running across our sanctuary. And I'll tell you what happened. There's a foundation here. That beam right over there is bolted down to that foundation right there. They bolted it in. And then they ran it over. And somewhere down there, it's bolted in. And those bolts are pulling against each other with incredible tension right now that we don't see. But that tension holds the structure up. And the pulling of one against the other keep us in balance. That's where we need His church. The Pentecostals need the Presbyterians. Let's see if we're going to shout now. Let's just, Stuart, just, let's put our heads down. Let's, let's put our head. Was he Presbyterian? Oh, that's so cool. I didn't know that. We need the Baptists. God led us at Upward to do something. And please understand, what I tell you that we've done is not to say, well, look at us, and you should do this exact same thing. I just want to give testimony to what God's done. We thought we were going to do a series called I Love My Church. Because we saw a church that did that, and that's still a good thing. They did T-shirts and all, I love my church. And if y'all have done that, that's good. But we started doing that, and then we realized it's not our church. Yeah. We realized it's his church, so we said, hey, we're going to be really cool. We're going to come up with one said, I love his church. So I met with the team the next week, and they said, well, let's, let's, Pastor, let's just do this even better. If it's really his church, let's invite another local pastor to speak in the series. In fact, let's invite two of them. And let's make sure they're local. And let's make sure they're another denomination. I got a young, crazy staff. You scare me to death. I said, okay, let's do it. So we invited two of them. First one was Sunday. <coughs> Staff came back the next week. We had another meeting. They said, Pastor, we got another idea. This would be really cool. Let's find out what they're dreaming about, and let's take up an offering for them. What? We need that money. <laughs> A building project right now. Got an architect designing a master site. Like, what? Really, I said, no, let's do it. Went to our board and I said, listen, guys, <laughs> oh, Jesus, help, help us, help us work. So, listen, guys, let's do this. Can we, we're going to invite speakers from 
a couple of other churches to come. Can we can we just uh, take up an offering for them? And I want to tell you, I've been with this board for 22 years, and we've prayed and really cultivated a heart in them, and it's really shining forth. One of our board members stood up and said, Pastor, I'm going to do you one better than that. Let's give out of our general fund to them. Let's cut them a check the day they're here. And then let's let the congregation give an offering on top of that to their dreams. So Sunday, I stood on the platform with a Baptist pastor coming to Pentecostal church. And we had wide open Pentecostal shout and worship. And that Baptist pastor was right in there with us. And I said, Pastor, what's your dream for your church? And he said, we're dreaming to build a student life center. And I said, Upward, let's do it. And we wrote him a check for a few thousand dollars. And then we told the congregation, if you want to fill out envelopes, drop them in the boxes as you leave today and give. And I was just hoping somebody would. Then the staff came to me after church and said, look at this, Pastor. There's a bag like this thick. I think their offering's bigger than ours. And then he preaches this incredible message. And then at the end... We serve communion together. Don't tell me. I'm probably, I may not be supposed to do that. And here I'm confessing it in Oklahoma. <laughs> we serve communion together. And Stuart's recording it. <laughs> Good to know he's got my back, right? Started serving communion. And the scripture came to my heart. Let a man examine himself. And I said, Pastor, I've just got to be honest with you. I've examined my heart today. And I've got to repent from this congregation. So, Pastor Stacy, there have been times that I saw you as a competition. One of our big, I'll just tell you this. Y'all keep this secret. One of our biggest tithers about five years ago left our church and went to his. And that stunned me. And I said, Pastor, I want to repent today publicly as a pastor of this church for ever seeing you as the competition. Will you forgive me? And we hugged. And then we took communion together. And God did something incredible in our hearts as a church to say it's his church that pastor preached a powerful message the next day on Facebook one of our church members see I'm getting in the flesh again already one lady in our church said that sermon spoke to my heart like no other sermon <laughs> Exactly. Chip, chip, chip. Right. Thank you. I feel right at home. I've got help here. I need the Baptist guy. He keeps me in the Word. Sometimes we Pentecostals. I'm one of you now, so... Sometimes we Pentecostals, if anybody just shakes around and looks weird, we'll believe anything they say. That's God. Go to God. He's shaking a little bit. That's God. I'm so sorry. I'm trying to land this, and it's. I don't know. We may just laugh through the altar service. I don't know. But. Uh, I need a Baptist guy to pull me back and say, where's that in the Word? I need the Presbyterian. I met with a Presbyterian pastor three years ago. Very traditional Presbyterian. And he said, Andy, will you tell me about the Holy Spirit? Tell me what all that's about. And this is a man, godly man that loves Jesus. And I said, I'll tell you everything I know. He said, will you tell me about some of the traditional things that you do? I want to learn from you. 
He taught me about some of the liturgical things they do. And even if something as Pentecostals, we've tossed away some traditions in the church that are powerful. We started it up when we learned from them. We started reciting the Apostles' Creed together every time we do communion together. We started a formal benediction from Scripture and a commission from Scripture to end. We've, we've incorporated some of that into our worship because it's so meaningful. And we can't just cast it aside because it's part of His church. He said, tell me everything you know about the Holy Spirit that I shared with him. A year later, he said, let's have lunch again. Y'all can come and play some. This is a good time. Before we start cutting up again, we better play something. About a year later, he came to me. We met in that same restaurant again. And he said, Andy, I'm going to tell you something. He said, I've been seeking God with all my heart. He said, weird things have been happening. <laughs> Presbyterian pastor in Hendersonville, North Carolina. That's the Baptist land right there. I mean, that's not, it traditionally has not been open to the things of the Spirit. He said, weird things have been happening. I said, like what? He said, well, I spoke in tongues. <laughs> really? I probably shouldn't have acted so surprised. <laughs> probably bad thing. He was at our church sometime after that, leading a prayer service. And I saw God move through that man in words of knowledge and gifts of healings. I looked at him, I thought, who's the Pentecostal now? got to learn to relate to people that don't agree with us on everything. Pentecostals, we got to learn that there's value in His church. His church. He said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you love His church? Would you stand with me? Jesus, we love you tonight. Jesus, we're so thankful tonight that it's your church. Jesus, I'm thankful tonight that any person here tonight who's feeling burdened down by the weight of ministry, struggling, Father, because ministry has not always gone the way they thought it would or should, that they can simply come to you tonight and say, Jesus, it's your church, and you're building it. I just wonder how many in this place would be honest enough to just lift up a hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I've been right there. I'm feeling the burden. I'm feeling the, the weight of ministry. And I just need to come before Jesus tonight and say, Lord, this is your church. Could you just lift that hand up as a witness to the Lord? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I wonder if there'd be anybody here tonight who'd say, there have been times when the Lord was trying to shake me and sand off some rough edges and I've run away from the friction. And I just want to remain steadfast in those times when the master builder is shaping me. Would you pray for me? Can I see? Would you just lift your hand tonight if that's you? Amen. Amen. God bless you. I wonder how many of us need to get more comfortable with the tensions. More comfortable with those who don't agree with us. That we can sit down and find common ground and let God work through us. How many would say, yeah, that's me. I need that in my life. Would you lift a hand? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Can we just gather up this altar tonight, everybody that can go? Can we just...
if we just come up here as his church tonight just get with somebody I don't know what kind of groups you want to make I don't care if it's two or ten or we don't need to be alone that's not his church and I just want to pray tonight over you over this place over the precious work that God is doing believe it, to build his church right here. God, we come before you tonight in the mighty name of Jesus, and we thank you, Father, for everybody assembled in this place, God. You brought us here together tonight to speak to us, Father, to fill our hearts with your word and your wisdom. Father God, I just ask you tonight for those that are struggling under the weight of ministry. God, I pray and ask by the mighty power of the Holy Spirit, by the mighty grace of Jesus Christ, that a release would come in their hearts, Father God, that only you can work. A release, Father, to be able to say, Lord, this is your church. It's not mine to carry. Results are not mine to produce. All to serve you, to obey you, and to be faithful to you. And to trust you to build your church. Father, lift burdens tonight in pastors' hearts, in ministers' hearts, Christians' hearts here tonight, God. God, there's some here tonight that are praying and they're believing for their families to be saved, God. God, I pray we'd be able to lay that burden on you tonight, God, and know that you're going to move miraculously. You're going to build your church, God, and you're going to save our children. Father, I believe you for that tonight. Help us tonight, Lord, to be faithful through the times of standing, through the times of friction, God. Help us to remain steadfast in your trust. God, help us not to run away from tension, but help us to embrace a healthy tension. And recognize, God, that many times those tensions hold the building together. Hold your church together. Father, I praise you tonight for the work you're doing in your people. 